I'm kind of excited about tonight. Uh, it caught me off guard as I was finalizing it that we actually might have the chance to get a little closer to the recrafting of our gospel language and gospel narrative. So we're going to be committing to a biblical gospel foundation for the scripture that represents Father as Jesus revealed him. That's what we've been trying to do. So later I have some papers to hand out for you. Uh, it's a little three-page deal that will let you take home the fruit of my talk tonight. And uh, we're going to be making a bit of a comparison. Uh, not, And I, I just want to really emphasize the fact that I'm not trying to be judgmental or critical or anything, but it was helpful last week when we looked at those different Scripture sets and realized that, A, we have permission to choose the Scriptures that we believe help reveal what the Gospel is. So, there's not a, a particular list that the Apostle Paul sent down and Peter sent down and John sent down that said, all this stuff's for discipleship and doctrine. Do this for gospel. We're all working out of the same Bible, the same manuscripts, the same revelation. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, I do have a couple of review slides, uh, of course. So remember that the meta narrative is that a word that describes a set of foundational assumptions and story form. And we rarely question it. That's an important thing. We're different. We're questioning our meta narrative. I've had conversations with a number of you where the word meta narrative came up and the idea of questioning it has opened the door for some stuff. And uh, it was really awesome. But it's the stuff that lies behind and shapes how we, how and why we see and interpret data. And you can think scriptures or doctrine. You could even apply it to events. Like there's definitely a different meta narrative in Putin's mind than there is in the Ukrainian's mind. There's no question about it. Uh, and, and so that's what meta narrative does, is it shapes how you see things. And it shapes the personal experiences the way you do. Becoming conscious of this meta narrative is important because of the influence that meta narratives exert on what we believe and how we share what we believe. And then I said this, and it was a pretty bold statement, but I'm, I'm coming to believe even more so that it's true. It is literally impossible to significantly change beliefs without changing the underlying meta narrative. Because the meta narrative keeps pushing back from the ideas. They feel awkward, they feel heretical, they feel dangerous, or whatever the case is. And so, what we learned from last week was that we have permission and responsibility to steward the scripture we use to form our gospel story. It's not, we're not uh, exercising a liberty that's untoward or doesn't belong to the saints. We are to study and show ourselves approved as well, and we have the responsibility to do that. So the question is, we choose and use Scripture to create and shape our gospel story through meta narrative. isn't just, is it biblical? Because every Scripture I put up last week was biblical. The question is closer to something like, does this reveal the Father to lost friends as Jesus revealed Him to be? And we have the, the right to pursue that, to know the Father, and Jesus whom he sent. So, we're going to do a little bit of a comparison with the Roman road. And I chose this one for a couple of reasons. One, it's kind of generic, and it's very common. It's got history that goes all the way back to the Chick Track days and beyond, you know. And so all of us are pretty much familiar with it. I did go a little crazy on this one slide. It just was fun. <laughs> you won't have to put up with that on any other slides. So we're going to compare the Roman road, and it is from an organization called LearnReligions.com, a website called LearnReligions.com. And if you go there and search Roman road, there's an uh, article from which these came exactly. Okay, They came exactly. And the, I, the other thing I did is at the end of that essay on the Roman road, they also have um, some suggested responses to the Roman road. And I've got those up here for us to look at. And then, of course, it's compared against the as-of-yet unarticulated gospel of the Father's love that you'll be able to find someday soon at a joylandlife.com site near you. <laughs> so, at least that's the goal. Now, I was reminiscing and celebrating with Jen because before she and Richard took off for Florida on Christmas, if you remember, right at that mic, she asked a question one night about, I used to know how to share the gospel, but with all we've been looking at, I don't know that I do. So, it's been almost two months that we've been poking around, trying to establish progress in this situation. And I'm excited that we're getting close. I think we are. All right. So uh, this is the meta narrative from Roman Road, Path to Salvation. 
in the little yellow thing on the top, I tried to create a relatively unbiased summary of whatever that particular scripture does. And then it'll pop up on the side over here as well. So uh, Romans 3, 9 through 12. Uh, what then are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jew and Greek are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one for all. And then they, they skip down to verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even though they didn't extend to the verses ahead and back, I'm sympathetic to the fact you can't do that. My scriptures have a longer context, but that's only because I'm that kind of person. Anyway, the emphasis there, I feel like, is is unavoidably sin, right? Okay, so let's not besmirching them for saying that. Next one, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is uh, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the, the emphasis there seems to be sin in contrast to the gift of eternal life, right? The next one, oh no, there's a question associated with this. So based on the, so far, what is eternal life? This doesn't say. We've talked about it. Jesus says eternal life is knowing God uh, and Jesus whom he sent. But is it possible that the, the, the narrow context of this verse and these two verses that people think when presented this, that eternal life is not sin or not sinning, or it's not death or not dying. And I think it might be. So I just think we're conscious of that. Is it possible that eternal life is something else beyond this comparison, the comparison between sin and death and life? And I think it is, because, you know, what Jesus said in John 17. Okay, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. So the emphasis here is that God loved us while sinners, while we were still sinners. Now, did God love us while we were still sinners? Yes. I'm not saying this isn't true. Okay. Please don't think, I'm I'm not suggesting it's not true. I'm suggesting that presented as a comprehensive truth, it can misrepresent something as broad and as deep as the love of God. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm kind of going quick through this because I want to spend the time on ours. Uh, what are the, uh, what is the arena of our lives in which we can see and experience God's love toward us? Is it just as sinners? Have you ever known anybody who got saved and then got in trouble down the road and they weren't sure about whether God's love really still applied to them? They figured it did at the beginning, but they don't know if it does now. I think that's one of the consequences of this. Yeah. Okay. How about this one? Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10, and then they skipped 11 and 12. It's so hard for me not to emphasize 11 and 12 and see what they skip, but I'm not going to do it tonight. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For whoever will call upon the Lord, the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, Let me give you a little calendar note. Next week, I believe I'm going to be talking about uh, the word saved and salvation. And then um, you and I got worked on calendar, and I gave you a, an early week. The 11th would be the first. Is that okay? Okay, okay, cool. Uh, so anyway, I'm not going to go into detail about that tonight because I really want to concentrate on the possibility of getting some of these scriptures that will back up our thing. But the question there is, what is salvation or who is, or what does it mean to be saved? It's, it's okay to ask that. Just because everybody that says it to you expects you already know what it means doesn't necessarily mean that that's what it means. Okay? And we'll look at that in detail next week. Uh, next one, Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can anybody say amen to that scripture? I do. I love it. But uh, the emphasis there is justified by faith and peace with God. And the question that came to my mind was, what justifies us and gives us peace? Is it our faith, or is it God himself? How many people have you known, or have you ever known anybody, that their assurance of peace seemed to rest on their confession, and not on a closeness to God? Then, if somebody challenges that confession, or they feel like, maybe I missed it, all of a sudden the peace is very vulnerable. I think that peace comes from God and from knowing God, and being known by God. And that's where I want the gospel that we preach to emphasize that. 
the knowledge of God, not just a correct response to a doctrine. Um, this is a good one. Romans 8.1, there is now, uh, there is there now for no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Obviously, the emphasis is no condemnation in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? This is something that I do have as a bone to pick with the gospel as I knew it for a long time, is I knew that the, the concept of being in Christ was super important, but it was never explained. It always seemed just remote or it seemed positional or something like that. So uh, do I think that, that we should be presenting a gospel that allows somebody to know something anyway? And I'm not expecting a newborn Christian who just heard the gospel and responded to have a big theological understanding of that, but is it too much to to ask that in our presentation of the gospel, the good news, that what it means to be in Jesus might be a part of that? I, I, no, so we'll see. I don't know if I've succeeded in doing that. And then lastly, Romans uh, 8, 38 and 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, I just copied all these out of New American Standard because I want to be consistent. Um, there's probably a couple other translations that might say this a little bit differently and not raise the objection that I have. But nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. How many people do you think push that off to the future? I may not be experiencing His love now, but when I get to heaven, everything will be cool. Is it possible that we can present a gospel that applies presently and not just future? And in what or in who is the confidence rooted? Is it rooted in the person of God or is it rooted in having the correct confession? And we could make that same mistake no matter how good we get at presenting the gospel. Okay. Now, this I took literally, directly, word for word, exactly formatted and everything from the end of their site. So if you go on their site, I'm not suggesting you do or don't, doesn't matter to me, but if you go on their site, there'll be this uh, outline of the scriptures about the gospel and then some talk about it. And then they have this thing and it's titled uh, Responding to Romans Road. And they say this, if you believe Roman Road leads to the path of truth, you can respond by achieving or by receiving God's wonderful gift of salvation today. Here's how to take your personal journey down Romans Road. It's a five-step process. Admit you're a sinner. Understand that as a sinner, you deserve death. Believe Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from sin and death. Repent by turning from your old life of sin to a new life in Christ and receive through faith in Jesus Christ God's free gift of salvation. Now, without rendering any kind of subjective judgment on the follow-up statement of how to take advantage of their section of Scripture about salvation, four of their five recommendations are about sin. So that would lead me to believe that the authors of the site generally believe and want to convey to people who are considering the gospel through this, that the free gift of salvation is something we get from Jesus that is contrasted against sin and a life of sin and the death that comes with that. Would you say that was fair? And then anybody that read this that was not a Christian, they would probably also think there was an emphasis on sin in, this, in the good news of the gospel. Four out of five. What would that be? 80%? Okay. Then they have a note. For more about salvation, read up on becoming a Christian. Now, this, I will be a little snarky. If you're going to have a whole website that tells you how to become a Christian, why do you need further information on how to become a Christian? Anyway, I, that's probably not fair. <clears throat> All right. Huh? No, I, I took the link off the website. I, no, I took it off the page. Sorry. No, I want to look at this. Now, now, this is when it's real. So there's not much for you to say at the mic about what they think about the gospel, but you can say anything you want about what I get up here. So we're going to choose uh, perhaps yours, perhaps Joyland's Gospel Story Meta Narrative Foundational Scriptures. So I've come up with 11 scriptures. 
I'm open to some of them being inappropriate or judged inappropriate. I'm open to some of them not being the best it could be or whatever the case is. And I'm certainly open to others. But I hope that for those of you that were here last week, like you came up and spoke a little bit, you know, and, and Dave, you said some stuff. I hope you see that there's some thinking that just started popping out. And I just was thankful to the Lord for it because I think we're making progress as a group on this. So the following 11 scriptures may serve in part or in whole as the scriptural foundation for the gospel meta narrative for you and or for Joyland. So let's explore the message of the gospel these might be able to produce. And then one of the questions that I'm going to be very open to is if you think this is actually, these scriptures are actually conveying the gospel. Or because, you know, there could be some scriptures that convey discipleship or there could be some scriptures that display something other than the gospel. And I'm open to the fact that that might be a possibility. So, there's three pages of these to make up the 11. And this is where I've got the, the passages. Would you guys like to have those to read them? Okay. So, Jen, if you would pass these out to everybody. I've, there's 19 copies. There are uh, uh, two pages, two-sided one and one the other. They're separated. Uh-huh. Those, yeah, those are the two. Or, yeah, in other words, they're collated together. Yeah. So the, the one on top would be that. Okay. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4 is the scripture that I put it put down to start the list of the gospel. Uh, 3, uh, 1, 3 through 14, I'm sorry. Remember context, I'm not big on tiny context. So let me read it while she's passing that out, or while they're passing it out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intentions of His will, to the praise of His glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to his kind intentions, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I think you would be hard-pressed to say that doesn't convey the gospel because it even uses the word gospel in the scripture. But I understand, and, and Vicki made this point last time, when we were looking at those lists of scriptures, we were not trying, or I was not, but I didn't emphasize this enough, I was not trying to suggest that the recitation of those scriptures is what we're supposed to do to share the gospel. These are the, the underlying foundation. Okay, So what I tried to do was I tried to write a brief synopsis of that that would kind of tell the story of this aspect of the gospel. And that's the part up next to the scripture uh, reference at the top. Uh, the title to this little section that has like three scriptures in it is God chose our created purpose and destiny. And next to the thing up there that says Ephesians 1, uh, 3 through 14, before God created the cosmos, he seeing himself as our, or if you were telling this to somebody, as your father, predestined us to adoption as sons in Jesus, his only begotten son from all eternity. Having you as a son is his forever desire and will. So without commentary, let me read it one more time. Before God created the cosmos, he, seeing himself as our father, predestined us to adoption as sons in Jesus, his only begotten son from all eternity. Having you as a son is his forever desire and will. Okay? What do you think? Okay? As a way to start, as a way to start 
talking about the gospel to somebody who's open to it, do you think that starts in a, a better place than you're, you're a sinner? Yeah. I, you know, okay. All right. The next one. John one, uh, one through three and Colossians one, 15 and 18. Here's John one, one through three. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Colossians, Paul tells the story uh, similarly, but in a, other words. In a, it's interesting that this is repeated three basic times in Scripture in almost these same words. Hebrews, John, and Colossians. Here's the Colossians passage. He is the invisible, or he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn among the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Now, I could understand why somebody would not think that's a gospel, or even that this is a gospel concept, but... Let me read the little summary statement. You'll see why I think it is. This Jesus, with God eternally and God himself, was who made and sustains every created thing. He came with authority and union of the one who created us. So now before we talk about Jesus coming and dying for our sins or hanging on the cross in some abstract way that reaches back and emphasizes that the only reason he came was because we were sinners. We're setting a context for why the incarnation happened. And we're setting a context for the resource that Jesus brought, which was his authority as our creator. And that gets into union, and we don't have time to talk about that tonight, but it's something to think about. Okay. I'll read the, the little summary statement. So now we're going to put the two summary statements together. Before God created the cosmos, he, seeing himself as our father, predestined us to adoption as sons in Jesus, his only begotten son from all eternity. Having you as a son is his forever desire and will. And this Jesus, with God eternally and God himself, who was made and sustains every created thing, he came with the authority and union of the one who created us. So do you see how Jesus is now created with the desire of God to be our Father? Okay. Genesis 1.26. Dave, I was sitting there motivated for sure by why, why do we not go back to the origin stories? You know, And so I've got a couple of Old Covenant stuff in there, or Old Testament stuff in here, that I think actually belongs in the Gospel. So Genesis 1.26 to uh, 126 through 23. It's kind of a long passage, again, and I'm not saying we have to memorize all this stuff to preach the gospel, but this lays the foundation. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their host. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. The summary statement to that is God made man and woman in his image and likeness and declared that all he had made was very good. Then he rested. Now, part of why I put this in there with that kind of a summary statement is that I think people think, naturally, that God made things and they were all awesome, 
And then they fell apart. And then he started a scramble to try to fix them. But this says that's not the case. So let me read the three purpose statements, or the three summary statements now together. Before God created the cosmos, He, seeing Himself as our Father, predestined us to adoption as sons in Jesus, His only begotten Son from all eternity. Having you as a son is His forever desire and will. This Jesus, with God eternally and God Himself, was who made and sustains every created thing. He came with the authority and the union of the one who created us. And here's what Jesus did. God made man and woman in his image and likeness and declared all he had made was very good. Then he rested. Make sense? That those go together, sort of, as a prelude to the gospel? Okay, now, the next little subhead introduces the concept that a lot of gospel stories start with. That is sin and darkness and death. Genesis 3, 1 through 11. Pretty long passage again as a foundation, but the summary statement's not that long. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit... Of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit in the tree in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it or touch it, or you shall surely die. I always have to throw a commentary in it. God didn't say don't touch it. That was something Adam probably slipped in on the side to try to keep her in line. All right, anyway, sorry. I'll go back and read again. Uh, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called the man and said to them, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? So the summary statement of that passage of Scripture, and that's a straight-through passage with no... Uh, interruptions. The man and the woman believed the tempter's lie about God and themselves. They took the knowledge of good and evil they were not ready to handle into themselves and became ashamed of themselves and afraid of God and hid from Him. And then if we put that in line with the summary statements as it goes, before God created the cosmos, He, seeing Himself as our Father, predestined us to adoption as sons in Jesus his only begotten son from all eternity, having you as a son, my friend, having you as a son is his forever desire and will. This Jesus, with God eternally and God himself, who was who made and sustains every created thing, he came with the authority and the union of the one who created us. God made man and woman in his image and his likeness, and he declared that all he made was very good. Then he rested. But the man and the woman believed the tempters lie about God and themselves, took the knowledge of good and evil that they were not ready to handle into themselves, and became ashamed of themselves and afraid of God and hid from Him. Okay? So darkness and sin opposed our destiny and brought death. All right, now, if you remember back to when we were kicking around a different definition of terms, what is sin? One is violating the command of God. Another possible definition of sin is leaning on anything other than Jesus for your identity. Okay, so this 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 is going to try to look into that a little bit. <clears throat> okay, so from Romans five, twelve through nineteen, and again that's a straight through scripture. I didn't want to piece it all up. Therefore, justice through one man. Sin entered into the world. Now, I just turned the page here, but I want you to think. You see how this connects with sin? Okay. 
So it's not like trying to jump all over the place. We're trying to build a narrative that can take a story form, and the story form can be these little short summary statements. It's kind of what we're at. Okay, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was not in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through one, as the one, through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even the, uh, through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. And the summary statement is this. Fear and death spread from Adam to all mankind. But the free gift from Father's heart of grace in Jesus was greater than the failure of Adam. In the first, all died. In the second, all lived. So let me read them all together again as our growing gospel presentation. Before God created the cosmos, He, seeing Himself as our Father, predestined us to adoption as sons in Jesus. His only begotten Son from all eternity, having you as a son is his forever desire and will. This Jesus, with God eternally and God himself, was who made and sustains every created thing. He came with the authority and the union of the one who created us. God made man and woman in his image and likeness, and he declared that all he had made was very good. Then he rested. But the man and woman believed the tempter's lie about God and themselves took the knowledge of good and evil they were not ready to handle into themselves and became ashamed of themselves and afraid of God and hid from him. Fear and death spread from Adam to all mankind, but the free gift from Father's heart of grace in Jesus was greater than the failure of Adam. In the first, all died. In the second, all live. So now we're going to talk about Father's love and the fact that Jesus was that plan for all time. Isaiah 53. Dave, I just thought, how could we not include Isaiah 53 as part of the gospel? You know? Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him. Let me reemphasize that. Yet, we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. I just want to say that a, a slow, intentional reading of this passage of Scripture will blow so many false notions about the gospel, God's punishing him for us, all this kind of stuff. It's probably worth reading again. Let me read the summary statement, though. 
Jesus was sent. He grew up before us. We didn't recognize Him. We misunderstood His suffering. Yet He redeemed every area of our lives affected by darkness and sin. He carried our sickness and was wounded for our crimes. We all strayed like sheep, and Father let our crimes come down upon Him. This is an explanation of what happened on the cross that isn't pulled out of the general context of who Christ is and what the Father's desire was. So let me back up and read our summary gospel statement. Before God created the cosmos, He, seeing Himself as our Father, predestined us to adoption as sons in Jesus, His only begotten Son from all eternity. Having you as a son is His forever desire and will. This Jesus, with God eternally and God Himself, who, uh, was who made and sustains everything, every created thing. He came with the authority and the union of the one who created us. God made man and woman in His image and likeness, and declared that all he had made was very good. Then he rested. But the man and the woman believed the tempter's lie about God and themselves, took the knowledge of good and evil they were not ready to handle into themselves, and became ashamed of themselves and afraid of God and hid from him. Fear and death spread from Adam to all mankind. But the free gift from the Father's heart of grace in Jesus was greater than the failure of Adam. In the first, all died. In the second, all live. Jesus was sent. He grew up before us. We didn't recognize Him. We misunderstood His suffering. Yet He redeemed every area of our lives. Jen, I want you to think about how this helps healing be a natural expectation as part of the presentation of the Gospel. Okay? He, uh, yet He redeemed every area of our lives affected by darkness and sin. He carried our sickness, was wounded for our crimes. We all strayed like sheep, and Father let our crimes come down on Him. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That word is cosmos too, by the way. For God so loved the world, or the cosmos, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world, or the cosmos, to judge it, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So the summary statement here can talk about darkness and it can talk about judgment and it can talk about that kind of stuff without making it the, the primary basis. Hey, Dave, the primary basis of, of our presentation of the gospel. God did not send Jesus out of anger. He sent him from a love that did not falter. He kept loving the cosmos so consistently that when the time was right, he sent His Son Jesus into the very darkness that sin caused among men. Not to judge us for our sin, because sin and darkness is its own judgment, but so that we might be saved through Him. Let me read it in the context. That's a little bit of a bolder summary statement, I understand. No. Before God created the cosmos, He, seeing Himself as our Father, predestined us to adoption as sons in Jesus, His only begotten Son from all eternity. Having you as a son is His forever desire and will. This Jesus, with God eternally and God Himself, was who made and sustains every created thing. He came with the authority and union of the One who created us. God made man and woman in His image and likeness and declared that all He had made was very good. Then He rested. The man and woman believed the tempter's lie, but the man and woman believed the tempter's lie about God and themselves, took the knowledge of good and evil that they were not ready to handle into themselves and became ashamed for themselves and afraid of God and hid from Him. Fear and death spread from Adam to all mankind. But the free gift 
from the Father's heart of grace in Jesus was greater than the failure of Adam. In the first, all died. In the second, all lived. Jesus was sent. He grew up before us. We didn't recognize Him. We misunderstood His suffering. Yet He he has redeemed every area of our lives affected by darkness and sin. He carried our sickness and was wounded for our crimes. We all strayed like sheep and Father let our crimes come down upon Him. God did not send Jesus out of anger. He sent Him from a love that did not falter. He kept loving the cosmos so consistently that when the time was right, He sent His Son Jesus into the very darkness that sin caused among men, not to judge us for sin, because sin and darkness is its own judgment, but so that we might be saved through Him. Now, if this is really going to be a gospel statement, we have to get into the invitation part, what a person can think or believe. So that's what this next one is. Receive and believe Jesus to become the children that we are. John 1, 4-13. Father God sent Jesus His... Oh, sorry. Scripture first. In Him was life. Don't want to miss this Scripture. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own. And those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so the summary statement that I put together is, Father God sent Jesus, his word and creator, to share his life with the men who had become a kind of living dead. And while we did not fully understand or recognize him, his life became light in our darkness. When we receive him and believe in him, we once again have the power to be the children of Father God we were predestined to be from the beginning. So let me go ahead and put the whole statement together a couple more times. Before God created the cosmos... This is like psychological torture, right? Reading it over and over again like this. Okay, before God created the cosmos, he, seeing himself as our father, predestined us to adoption as sons in Jesus, his only begotten son from all eternity. Having you as a son is his forever desire and will. This Jesus with God eternally and God himself who made and sustains every created thing, he came with the authority and union of the one who created us. God made man and woman in his image and likeness, and he declared all that he had made was very good. Then he rested. The man and the woman, however, believed the tempter's lie about God and themselves, took the knowledge of good and evil that they were not ready to handle into themselves and became ashamed of themselves and afraid of God and hid from him. Fear and death spread from Adam to all mankind, but the free gift from Father's heart of grace in Jesus was greater than the failure of Adam. In the first all died, in the second all lived. Jesus was sent. He grew up before us. We didn't recognize him. We misunderstood his suffering, yet he redeemed every area of our life affected by darkness and sin. He carried our sicknesses and was wounded for our crimes. We all strayed like sheep, and Father let our crimes come down upon him. God did not send Jesus out of anger. He sent him from a love that did not falter. He kept loving the cosmos so consistently that when the time was right, he sent his son Jesus into the very darkness that sin caused among men. Not to judge us for sin, because sin and darkness is its own judgment, but so that we might be saved through him. Father God sent Jesus, his word and creator, to share his life with the men who had become a kind of living dead. And while we did not fully understand or recognize him, his life became light in our darkness. When we receive him and believe on him, we once again have the power to be the children of Father God. We were predestined to be from the beginning. 
Uh, okay, I kind of didn't format this properly. Sorry, the first one should be another thing, but let me read it to you. So now, how do we believe in Jesus? Okay, again, it's not going to be the gospel if we don't have a how-to in there, right? So how do we believe in Jesus? First John 4, 15-19. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Sorry. Here's the um, summary statement. We are invited to know and to believe, or you are invited to know and to believe the love that God has demonstrated for us by sending Jesus. In believing and confessing Jesus is Lord, we confess our belief that God is love and love cast out fear of punishment and final judgment. Okay, our next one. There we go. Sorry, one slide behind. Our next one is, is Romans. And this is again under the heading of how do we believe in Jesus? But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Just a little commentary about that passage of scripture. To stop short of talking about not being disappointed in God and that whoever calls upon him will be saved, to me, is criminal when you're talking about the gospel. Because one of the things everybody faces is the fear of being rejected by God or being disappointed in their attempt to be coming to him. And so the scripture is pretty plain that Paul talks about there. He's talking specifically about Israel and some things. But uh, anyway. All right, so here's the summary statement of that, which is almost as long as the verse. <laughs> right now, the Holy Spirit's gift of your words of belief are in your heart and in your mouth. The belief in your heart leads to righteousness that Father God has given you in Jesus. The belief spoken by your words that confess and call Jesus as Lord declares the salvation you receive in Him. Whoever that can be you, believes in Jesus, will not be disappointed. And whoever, that can be you too, calls on Jesus as the Lord, will be saved. So now let me torture you one more time. But we are building something that we have to judge and consider as a possible way of talking about the gospel. Before God created the cosmos, he, seeing himself as our father, predestined us to adoption as sons, in Jesus, his only begotten son from all eternity, having you as a son is his forever desire and will. This Jesus with God eternally and God himself, who was made, who has made and sustains every created thing, he came with the authority and union of the one who created us. God, Jesus really, made man and woman in his image and likeness and declared that all he had made was very good. Then he rested. The man and woman, unfortunately, believed the tempter's lie about God and themselves, took the knowledge of good and evil they were not ready to handle into themselves, and became ashamed of themselves and afraid of God and hid from him. Fear and death spread from Adam to all mankind. But the free gift from Father's heart of grace in Jesus was greater than the failure of Adam. 
In the first all died, in the second all lived. Jesus was sent. He grew up before us. We didn't recognize Him. We misunderstood His suffering. Yet He redeemed every area of our life afflicted by darkness and sin. He carried our sickness and was wounded for our crimes. We all strayed like sheep, and Father let our crimes come down upon Him. God did not send Jesus out of anger. He sent Him from a love that did not falter. He kept loving the cosmos so consistently that when the time was right, He sent His Son Jesus into the very darkness and sin caused among men. The very darkness that sin caused among men. Not to judge us for our sin, because sin and darkness is its own judgment, but so that we might be saved through Him. Father God sent Jesus, His Word and Creator, to share His life with the men who had become a kind of living dead. And while we did not fully understand or recognize Him, His life became light in our darkness. When we received Him and believe in Him, we once again have the power to be the children of Father God we were predestined to be from the beginning. We are invited to know and to believe the love God has demonstrated for us by sending Jesus. In believing and confessing Jesus as Lord, we confess our belief that God is love, and love casts out fear of punishment and final judgment. Right now, the Holy Spirit's gift of your words of belief are in your heart and mouth. The belief in your heart leads to the righteousness that Father God has given you in Jesus. The belief spoken by your words that confess and call Jesus as Lord declares the salvation you receive in Him. Whoever, that can be you, believes in Jesus will not be disappointed. And whoever, that can be you too, calls on Jesus as Lord will be saved. And the final one I've got in here is what makes this beautiful gift of life possible. An explanation to all that we just read. Galatians 4.6 Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The summary statement is, remember that God thought of Himself as your Father before He ever created anything in the cosmos through His Son, Jesus. It is because He knows you are predestined to be His Son in Jesus that He has sent the Spirit of His Son into your heart to cry out with you, Abba, Daddy, Papa God, here I am, your child. And for the last time, perhaps, I will burn these words into your mind. Uh, before God created the cosmos, He, seeing Himself as our Father, predestined us to adoption as sons in Jesus, His only begotten Son from all eternity. Having you as a son is His forever desire and will. This Jesus with God eternally and God Himself was who made and sustains every created thing. He came with the authority and the union of the one who created us. God, through Jesus, made man and woman in his image and likeness and declared that all he had made was very good. Then he rested. The man and the woman, unfortunately, believed the tempter's lie about God and themselves, took the knowledge of good and evil they were not ready to handle into themselves and became ashamed of themselves and afraid of God and hid from him. Fear and death spread from Adam to all mankind. But the free gift from Father's heart of grace in Jesus was greater than the failure of Adam. In the first, all died. In the second, all lived. Jesus was sent. He grew up before us. He didn't we didn't recognize Him. We misunderstood His suffering. Yet, He redeemed every area of our lives affected by darkness and sin. He carried our sickness and was wounded for our crimes. <laughs> we all strayed like sheep, and Father let our crimes come down upon Him. <coughs> Excuse me. God did not send His Son out of or send Jesus out of anger. He sent Him from a love that did not falter. He kept loving the cosmos so consistently that when the time was right, He sent His Son Jesus into the very darkness that sin caused among men, not to judge us for our sin because sin and darkness is its own judgment, 
but so that we might be saved through him. Father God sent Jesus, his word and creator, to share his life with the men who had become a kind of living dead. And while we did not fully understand or recognize him, his life became light in our darkness. When we receive him and believe in him, we once again have the power to be the children of Father God we were predestined to be from the beginning. We are invited to know and to believe the love that God has demonstrated for us by sending Jesus. In believing and confessing Jesus is Lord, we confess our belief that God is love, and love cast out fear of punishment and final judgment. Right now, the Holy Spirit's gift of your words of belief are in your heart and in your mouth. The belief in your heart leads to the righteousness that Father God has given you in Jesus. The belief spoken by your words that confess and call on Jesus as Lord declares the salvation you receive in Him. Whoever, and that can be you, believes in Jesus will not be disappointed. And whoever, that can be you too, calls on Jesus as Lord will be saved. Remember that God thought of Himself as your Father before He ever created anything in the cosmos through His Son Jesus. It is because He knows you are predestined to be His Son in Jesus that He has sent the Spirit of His Son into your heart to cry out with you, Abba, Daddy, Papa God, here I am, your child. So, we've kind of used up our time. That's why I wanted you guys to have these with you. Any quick thoughts before worship starts? Uh, let's make sure it's on there. It should be on. So, um, are you asking our quick thoughts before this finds its way to a joy? Oh, we're, we're, there's still more work to do on it from there. So, okay. yeah, no, we, uh, so yeah, for, I mean, it could be, yeah, I don't mind your, any thoughts. We're just not going to take a whole lot of time. So it's just got to kind of be quick. But yeah, eventually, we're going to, we're working towards, as you know, we're working towards, um, a way to articulate the gospel that fits a little better with the way we understand as opposed to like that Roman road pass or something. So I was just thinking nowadays it's such a big deal about pronouns and, uh, talking with some other people and things. I'm coming from, I've been taught this since I was little. So I, as a girl, automatically know I'm included in this. Way. The son thing, the son and right. daughter. Yeah. Okay. Right? I thought about that. Yeah. Um, and like we are going to be a son of God's going to be immediate turn off for some. So if we're looking at speaking in this current culture, in this current language to a group that doesn't have any concept of what we're speaking. That's good. That's good. That would just, you know, making sure that we follow the culture with the. In the right way. Sure. Right. That's good. That's good. Yeah. yeah excellent. Okay. Do, let me ask you a question since you took time to come up. If you read through those summary statements, do you think that's the gospel? See, we got work to do. I, so, Not on you, but I mean on this statement. I think in my personal experience, mm -hmm. be, because I have been a teacher, I'm aware of the fact that there's denotation and connotation and so you really need the Holy Spirit in front of you because you have no idea what that person's going to perceive gotcha. a word as. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, I've had someone come to know the Lord in Exodus, in the Bagats. Sure, they came sure. to know the Lord. In the, and then speaking to a little boy, um, and they said, followers of Christ, he was sarcastic with me. And like, so like, is he on Facebook? And I was like, he was before Facebook and he has way more followers. Absolutely, and sure. And the Holy Spirit just led this whole thing. And him accepting Christ went like this subscribe i'm like permanently he's like subscribe subscribe and you know that's so cool. i guess i just yeah yeah gotcha no that's great that's great all right so we're, i'm gonna let uh, let us get into worship you have the paper with you i would encourage you to think about it we'll have some time to talk i'll be available after you know for fellowship with we have soup and whatever we got over there some cool stuff actually uh i'll change this over and uh move this up here in just a sec thank you guys for listening